I'm Nicholas Penrake and you're listening to A Trader's Life, the podcast where I get to talk to successful traders about their approach to trading, how they started out and went from broke or breaking even to pulling in thousands of dollars a week. Trading is a tough game. They say only around 5% of those who try actually make a profit. Join me for A Trader's Life to glean some valuable insights from the market wizards I get to talk to. Midway through 2021, I was looking for a means of making some passive income that involved no trading risk. And I came across a company operating in the crypto space that specializes in masternoding. This company, called Yield Nodes, generates returns by verifying new blocks of transactions in cryptocurrencies. What they've done is to allow the public to participate in their platform by way of placing a stake in the business. This being the crypto space, I was intrigued, but naturally somewhat cautious about getting involved. I reached out to the CEO, Steve Horman, and invited him onto the show. I found him very transparent and helpful. Episode 40, if you fancy a listen. So the first thing to note, this company has been very favorably reviewed by independent experts. The second thing to note, is that you can make a very good return, around 10% per month on whatever stake you put in. When you factor in compounding, you're looking at something more like 220% per annum. So if you want better returns for your savings than your local bank gives you, and a means of generating steady passive income that doesn't involve trading for a change, I say this is a very good platform to try out. My daughter, a film editor and highly skeptical of anything crypto-related, got started with 500 euros, just to give it a go. She's been averaging 50 euros a month since that time. Now, neither she nor I are financial advisors, so obviously do your own due diligence before getting involved. Suffice to say, it doesn't take long to make back your initial stake at returns like these. If you want to participate in the Yield Nodes offering, do please consider helping this podcast by signing up through my link in the show notes. It'll be yieldnodes.com slash a trader's life. Instead of the usual minimum deposit of 500 euros, you can make a start with as little as 50 euros. That helps you and it helps me pay my hosting fees each month. Okay, that was Yield Nodes. Now on with the show. Today on A Trader's Life, I managed to grab Serge Berger, Chief Investment Officer at Blue Marlin Associates in the US, for his take on how best to trade the markets in the second half of 2021. With a background as an analyst at Bloomberg for several years, it's hardly surprising Serge has an extensive knowledge of the markets and always trades with a well-structured plan for growth that includes hedging strategies designed to withstand even the most brutal corrections. Here's that take. Serge, hi. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good to have you. Well, I've been following you on uh, you know, your various webinars and tuition and what have you. I mean, you're very active there. Um, what got you into trading in the first place? Well, you know, I st- my first job was working at, um, at Bloomberg in uh, in New York and and as an analyst and and uh well, actually before that that's actually not true I actually started trading 
while I was in high school. I was a, I was a, a good golfer. So there's some of these guys on the golf course where we lived, they got me interested in trading because they were playing golf and playing and trading at the same time. This is a long time ago, you know, cell, big cell phones and they had these TV, TVs in their golf cart. And so I kind of started getting into it with them. And uh, actually it was one guy that, that was rather wealthy. He allowed me to do some stuff with him. So, and then of course I had, I had to get some real world experience, you know, on my own. And then I went to Bloomberg and, and then from there to the investment banking world and then the money management side. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So it's, you've been in the money for, for quite some time. Why trading specifically that rather than say investment banking or any of these other financial services? You know, first I was an analyst and then at uh, JP Morgan, I was an investment banker doing, uh, doing um, fixed income stuff. And, you know, ultimately it's not so much, I don't want to consider myself as, as, as a trader and more as a, more a portfolio manager for, for our investment management company. Um, of course we trade, but, you know, sometimes trader has sort of the wrong. Yeah, I know it's an interesting distinction, isn't it? Trader, investor, sort of, you know, it's a fine dividing line really, isn't it? You know, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, it's, I mean, there's always trading involved in this trading, you know, and I do trading in my own account and things, and we have active portfolios and active funds where there really is trading, but it's not day trading per se. We do a little bit of day trading in some of the uh, more retail focused uh, products, research products like chat rooms, but it's not going to be where you make you money. You know, I mean, it's nice to do here and there, fine, and you can make some money for sure. Uh, but you're not going to make you most of your money, your big money there. There's just doesn't, it's just not how it works. And so what kind of trading do you do yourself? I mean, I know, I know you teach others, mainly beginners, isn't it? At, at least in your videos that I've seen. Um, um I actually, it's, it, it's not so much the teaching as it is the research. I mean, we have courses and things that we teach things, people along the way. Um, you know, but, uh, you're asking about my own personal account. I I more or less do what we do for the for our client portfolios at the at the at Blue Marlin Advisors, which is our our what's called an RIA, it's a registered investment advisory company. So you know, there's various strategies. We have strategies that are focused in just just only on growth uh, plays. There's things that are more focused on sort of options where we generate more of an income, a steady stream of returns with low volatility, um, and uh, you know, so it really depends on the on on what the strategy is. A lot of the stuff that we do, we we can execute by options, but it really depends on the time frame and what the strategy is. You know, so it's more of a portfolio approach rather than I'm going to buy this stock and throw it at the wall and see what happens. It's not really, you know, yeah, an approach. Yeah. So do you when you plan for a folio, do you divide up? The money or whatever the fund is into in different sectors and assets i mean and do you switch from sectors to sector as one becomes more favorable than the other yes so one of the fund strategies that we manage is um is is what we call a tactical asset allocation it's like a sector and group rotation it's just again it's just one specific strategy what that does is it, it'll allocate to asset classes or sectors, if you talk about equities, that will tend to do well in, in any given market environment. So we essentially divide the market into, uh, or the economy, economic situation into four environments. Okay. Um, and then based on 
on what the environment is, what it's usually based on growth and inflation. And based on that, we will allocate to certain asset classes, certain sectors, and that's all done through ETFs. Okay. That's one strategy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And what, what's your thinking been in the last two or three months? There's been a lot of talk of, you know, big, well, correction, shall we say, in the fall sometime. Quite a bit of fear in the market, and yet we're still more or less bullish, aren't we, in, in, in the major indices. What are your feelings on that? Yeah, um, you know, we're, we're in a unique situation in that we're coming out of a complete economic shutdown that we haven't seen in, you know, in 100 years. Or, and I don't know what happened 100 years ago in the market, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, so no one's ever seen this before that's mentally functioning right now or that was yeah. trading in the markets 100 years ago. So it's, it's, it's unique in that situation. What's not unique is to have some volatility in the autumn. I mean, this is very near-term, right, focus. Yeah. Uh, that's just seasonality, and that's good to know. On the other hand, I can tell you that through our reach on the institutional side and on the retail side, most people come to us saying that they are expecting a correction and they've been expecting correction for years. Basically, most people are underallocated. When that happens, it's very difficult to get a big drop. I mean, of course, you know, the, the, the COVID-related drop was different. Yeah, what would the reasoning be? I mean, you know, it, it seems a lot of people say, oh, we're just due a correction, almost like, you know, we we've had a drought, we're due some rain. Uh, are there any sort of signals going off that make you feel this is, to, is the case? I think the question is, what is a correction? Is it, um, you know, is that 5%? Is it 10%, which is nothing? It's not even worth talking about a correction on an index level. Uh, certainly not 5%. Um, you know, is it, um, is it something more prolonged? I personally, just looking at the credit markets, looking at the fixed income markets, looking at the, to some extent, the currency markets, but really the credit markets at the end of the day is kind of the glue that holds it all together. And yes, at some point we're all, we are going to have problems, but I don't think we're at that point yet. There's too much money slushing around. The central banks have learned how to thread the needle not to upset the markets. For the most part, at this point, it's almost like if they were to upset the market, they almost have to do it on purpose. Although you never know, right? That there's always a you know 20, 30% unknown on that. You know, and, and then you have to some extent a, a new breed of, of investors out there. If you take the most recent bull market, if you just take US equities, for example, just a simple one, we're looking at a 12-year bull market. Now, if you take the average age on Wall Street right now, which is roughly early to mid-30s. Subtract twelve years, you get an, you get an average age of low twenties. What happened in the low twenties? People graduate college. Basically, the average age on Wall Street uh, and all on the buy side too. If it's the if in that generation, they have never seen a bear market. They don't know it exists. Yeah. So there's a mentality, and it's also in the algorithms of buying the dip. And you know that will play as long as it plays. And you know, but once the music stops then there probably won't be enough chairs. And so, you know, that's one thing. But there's other bigger things that are out there that are macroeconomic 
you know, demographic related. It really has all to do with, in, with interest rates. Where interest rates are all right now, there's not much alternative to equities. So the way I view it is that equities have kind of a built-in put. And basically, all you have to do is buy the call, meaning pullbacks of 10, 15, 20% can happen, but that's about it. You know, there's demographical reasons as well. If you look at demographics, you know, from baby boomers around the world to unfunded, you know, underfunded pensions and all that kind of stuff, they have to allocate to, to get their return somehow. And they are going to have to get into equities, but they also have a, an insatiable demand for a lot of almost all fixed income at above a certain investment grade. Uh, and on the rate side as well, that is going to uh, keep rates low. On top of that, central banks, governments have a lot of debt. You know, interest rates go too high because of yeah, yeah. interest rate, right? Really? So you have basically a natural bid on fixed income, meaning the price goes up, yields goes down. So yields will remain low. So because of that, you also need uh, to basically have um, – uh, a bid in equities because there's almost no, there really is no alternative. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you adopt defensive strategies to cope with this kind of an uncertainty? And, and if so, what, what kind of strategies are they? Are you hedging with, I don't know, precious metals or cryptos or any of those? Yeah. So, so it really depends on what the strategy is and what the time frame is. So for, you know, a lot of retail traders traders are basically, if they're not day traders, then they're what, what they would call swinger position traders, which works in some environments, doesn't work at all in other environments, like for the past three, four months. In that kind of an approach, which we do have books on that and, and even trade alert services and things like that, what you want to do is be as, as neutral as you can. So very simplistically, we will probably just be short some SPY, buy some puts in the, on the S&P 500, just broader beta you know, kind of hedging uh, versus being tactically long things that act well. That's a pure trading book thing. On an investment side, you know, it really, again, it depends on the macro environment. If the macro environment shifts, then there's a certain set of allocations that you do versus other allocations. You, know, you don't allocate to, let's say, financial stocks if interest rates are in free fall. That doesn't make sense. So you kind of hedge your yourself there by changing your positioning. Basically, is, is would be the yeah. short answer. Yeah. What do you make of what's going on in China? I mean, the ongoing problems with the rest of the world, plus they're you know clamping down on various um, corporations there, and you know their indices are sort of well, not quite crashing, but certainly dipping hard. Yeah. Um, what do you make of how that might affect the West, our indices? How it affects the West is, is more politic, geopolitical question. Honestly, I just, I'm just not the expert on that. But you know, from an investment perspective, I think you know, if one allocates money there, you have to expect a certain set of volatility, uh, another, an extra set of uncertainty, and, and probably have to have a time horizon that exceeds a lot of that. But what I will tell you is I don't think it's in – and this is a you know, political question – rather than a market question, but it does relate in this case. I don't think it's China's own interest to damage their own companies and thus their own capital markets. If you look at their agenda and what they're trying to do, 
they do want to have a capital markets that are ultimately probably open. And if they want to become leaders, the world leaders in, in all the ways that they want to, they will have to have a properly functioning you know, capital market. So I don't think it's in their interest to completely destroy all that. So I think if you have a long enough time horizon, number of years, not days or weeks, like most in retail investors, that's probably not an issue. But yeah, you're going to have, you know, short term, some, uh, some issues. going to have a lot of volatility. Yeah, we're seeing that. We saw that recently. And I don't, and, and I think there'll be more of that in terms of what the, you know, it's a state controlled mechanism over there. So you're going to have that, that hand is always going to be there. Guys, just a brief reminder here. When you sign up to Yield Nodes through my link, instead of the usual minimum deposit of 500 euros, you can make a start with just 50 euros. Type in yieldnodes.com slash a trader's life, or you can find the link in the show notes. Just take a look. If you're excited by the innovations in fintech, I think you'll be seriously impressed. And so what kind of trading do you do when it's your own personal stuff? I understand you, you manage funds, but when, when you're when you have the time, it doesn't sound like you've got much time, but when you do have the time and you want to trade, are you more an options man or it sounds like, like you might be? Yeah. So everything that we do in our investment management company, we will also try to do for our own personal portfolios. So, you know, again, it depends on the strategy. Some strategies are, are you know, are proactive in the sense that they use options. Some of them are, as I said, sector and group rotation stuff where that doesn't need options. You can always lever you bet with options. But, you know, if you want to have like one specific strategy we can kind of talk about that I, I think makes a lot of sense for people. And it's, it's unfortunately not that many retail investors do because until the market blows up and it's too late. And it has a lot to do with basically looking at the market in a bit of a different way. So essentially, let's say you buy a stock. Um, uh, if the stock goes up, you make money. If, you, uh, if it goes sideways, you don't make money. If it goes down, you lose money. But the stock doesn't have to go up, does it? can also go sideways or down. So by simple arithmetic, we know all is being equal. You have a one-third chance of making money. It's as simple as that. Okay. Now, if you buy a call option to make that same bet, you will lose money if the stock goes sideways and goes down. So unless the stock goes up, you're not making money. You're only, now you have – and it's just with the stock, it's, it's – it's, it's, you're not going to lose money necessarily, although that's you know arguable. There's other there's opportunity costs if you go sideways, but with options you definitely won't. You will lose money yeah. if you go sideways. With options, it's even worse than that. Unless the stock goes up now, up in one direction now, and basically buy a lot, you're not making any money. You're losing money. So basically, you're putting yourself into a position where you have to be dead on damn correct immediately and buy a good amount to make money. Yeah, most people don't understand that. So instead of doing that bet, and there's a there's space for that trade. There, there's a room in everyone's portfolio to do that trade. It's it's funny money, or you call it aggressive money, whatever you want to call it. You know, and I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying do it in you know limited occasionally. Limited <laughs> yeah, yeah, selectively. Selectively, yeah. I mean, again, you can. It's not that you can't. You can do anything yeah. with the right risk properties, but you yeah. have to be a bit more careful. The issue. Uh, with that, again, is, is the low probability of success. And, and, and most people, unfortunately, only do that because they're drawn by the returns. What we like to do for the larger part of the portfolio is where you make a bet of where the stock is most likely not going to go. Yeah. So, which basically means that you're going to make money whether in, in the bullish case, the stock goes up, you make money, stock goes sideways. And even if it goes against you to a degree, you make money. 
And there's a very specific way we do this. It's called an options credit spread, but it's a very, 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 very specific way in which we actually do that. And a lot of it has to do with using the right expirations, holding the trade for X amount of period, and, uh, and not using basically, you know, a lot of people that trade options use like the short dated options, the ones expiring next week or in two weeks or three weeks. And they have no idea what, what the risk of that. It's just yeah. the risk is that the odds are basically tiny that they're going to make money. You know? Right. Yeah. And of course, if the market ramps higher every day, you know, and everything is pumped up, that can work for longer than it usually would. But every market correction, you're going to get your face kicked in and then you're right <laughs> back where you were before, probably even yeah. lower. So is that your preferred style of option trading, the credit spread? Um, it's one of the things in we this do kind a of market, lot. Maybe. Yeah. 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 Well, in any market, really, because okay. what it does is it 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 gives you much lower uh, uh, volatility, and still gives you really good returns. So we have you know forty percent annualized returns on that over the long term, with basically a twenty percent correlation to the market, which is almost nothing. Like a Sortino ratio four point one, and listeners can look up what that means. You know, it's a strategy that works, but. Again, most retail investors aren't aren't successful and profitable because they're looking for the shiny object. You yeah. know, at this point, they prefer to buy an NFT of a monkey doing standing on its hand. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. Again, there's 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 room for that. You know, but again, no to risk a little bit. But with the majority of your money, you probably shouldn't be doing that. And you don't have to because of the exponential potential, right? If you buy an NFT and it goes through the roof, then you don't have. You know, that's great. You can still can make a ton of money and become rich. You know, if you buy Bitcoin and it doubles and triples and whatever, great. But I wouldn't put every penny in that necessarily. Not, and and, and I'm, we're big believers in crypto and all that stuff. But again, it's about having a realistic allocation. Model. Yeah, yeah, no, diversification. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And do you trade, uh, let's say, other assets like commodities, Forex? Do you diversify that way? Uh, the only way we trade currencies is through basically uh, uh, as an asset allocation. Right, so in the in the tactical asset allocation, really before, depending on the on where we are in terms of inflation and growth, we will allocate to certain currencies in certain ways, mostly through ETFs. Um, I think currency trading as an active thing at home is 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 a loser's game. Uh, right. I'm not saying you can't make money ever, but over time you probably won't make money, or 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 it'll be extremely volatile, and most people quit. Uh, commodities, uh, we allocate also the same way as currencies, but commodities, we actually do have an active approach in that. We have an algorithm that re- uses one of our indicators that actually uh, actually day trades that, believe it or not. And it's, and it's one of the strategies um, that I, I also do personally when the markets are quieter. It's a lot of overnight stuff in the commodities as futures, basically. Yeah. Okay. And so what's your sort of current project looking like? Do you have any sort of new ways of looking at the market that you're feeding through to how you invest? Pandemic-wise, I think we're in a situation where the reopening trade, as we said before, still has a lot of room to go. In fact, I'm not even really sure it's really begun yet in, a, in any major way. Of course, the wild card is COVID. I'm, I'm in no position to be an expert on that. I have some very good connections in that, but you know, almost everyone does. So, you know, people use even send us emails saying, oh, my doctor's doctor's sister <laughs> is, right. a, is a whatever-ist virologist yeah. in, yeah. you know, whatever. And great. You know, everyone knows a person like that. Fine. Uh, doesn't really help me. 
but yeah. and which is and which is not to say that they don't know anything, but it, it's there's no real edge, you know, in my in my opinion on that. But I do think the reopening trade has a lot more room. So you know, you talk about anything that's travel related, uh, on the commodity side, I think oil, uh, oil and oil related equities, is a bit of difference in, in some of them, but but that as a, as as a sort of blanket of thing. But beyond that, you know, we're focusing a lot of attention on the growth on the on the next the next iteration of growth stories, which are really just emerging. A lot of people refer to them as as uh, some of the stuff that the ARK investment stuff stuff does. So that's you're looking at stuff like um. Uh, you know, anything in robotics, yeah. really. Genome you know? therapy, that sort of thing. You right. mean the Kathy Wood ETFs? Yes, exactly. Yeah. That kind of that kind of stuff. Because um, she, she's got very mixed press at the moment, hasn't she? You know, like some people think she'll come through and others think, no, it's, it's all phony and it's all going to collapse. I, I, I wouldn't know, but what's your thoughts on that? It's a question of time horizon. You know, I think in, if you look at, you watch, say, financial television, most people would probably start stop arguing if they could, in the beginning of the interview, actually tell us what the hell their time frame is. But usually you watch a CNBC t- interview and they put on some dude that's trading on the New York Stock Exchange floor for his clients and then who has a time frame of about five nanoseconds on his own book. Yes, yeah, they put point. on yeah. And then they put on a mutual fund manager that sits somewhere up in Boston who's you know done his job for 59 years, whose time horizon is about five years. And you try to have a discussion with them, which makes it, it's like, it's, I don't even know how to, it, there's nothing, there's zero. You might as yeah. well talk sports, you yeah. know, and, 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 and talk baseball versus, uh, versus whatever, versus yeah. chess, you yeah. know, it just makes no sense. Yeah. It's just noise, isn't it really? It's yeah. silly. Yeah. So, you know, so, and, and, but that's really the big issue with retail investors. They are unable to, and, and, and it's because it's difficult. I'm not blaming them. It's just, it is hard and no one explains it. It's about having different understanding of your time frame. You know, if you ask your average retail investor, what, what, do, what do, you, do you think, what do you like Apple? They will actually give you an answer. Mm. The problem is that question never entailed on what time frame. Yeah. Do you like it for your children's retire, uh, you know, little uh, baby fund? Do you like it as a day trade for the next 10 minutes? Do you like it for the next two months? Those are questions that are complete. It's a completely different question. Yeah. Yeah. And so retail investors don't distinguish. And that's really the the crux of the problem. And you know, we see that for one of our retail products is a subscription service where we have uh, uh, we manage fully manage the trade alerts. So we manage uh, a swing trading portfolio. So they get a swing trade sent to them every day, and we manage it right, open and close. Uh, we have a day trading chat room, and we have a couple of investment. And I say investment, multiple months to quarters of time horizon. Most people even though they know the returns that's going to come from the investment will only take the swing trades because of their, uh, because we as human beings are, are greedy, right? Yeah. And we have a very short term time. And that's us, all of us. I'm not, and we this panic. Is not my point. You know, that's, not, that's the flip side of it. <laughs> so, yeah. Yet, if you, if you explain to people, ask people how many times, you know, did you look at a stock, didn't buy it, um, because you thought it was short and more bought, and then three years later it went from fifty to five hundred, and everyone's like, "Oh yeah, I've done that." Well, the problem is that move from fifty to five hundred that you just moved missed. That's that's a, a lifetime worth of swing trades you have to get right, hmm. which you most likely won't anyway. But yeah. even if you get them right, that'll that's what that amounts to, and that's an issue. You know, that's a real problem. 
And you know, we tried our darndest to teach people that, and 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 about ten percent of people learn it. Most people, unfortunately, fail because, again, not because they're bad people, because human beings are inherently impatient. Yeah. yeah. Do you think day trading on stocks is is a bit of a well? It's clearly difficult, but do you think most people are losing money on it? I think day trading of any time is diff- on any on any asset class is difficult. It's I think over time. It's it's a losing proposition, but there are times when it does make sense, right? So the the, the trouble that people get into say they can say, okay, I'm gonna wake up to tomorrow and I'm gonna be a day trader. Great, good luck. The problem is that it won't work all the time. Yeah, you know, it's gonna work at certain parts of the year, and uh, it's not gonna work a lot of the year. Yeah, and so but they keep coming back every day, try to do the same damn thing they did the previous day, but also the market environment changes. Yeah, and because of the macro environment, which they have no idea about, because all they do is look at the three-minute chart, they have no idea what's going on. They don't know what's going on with interest rates. They have no idea what's going on in any macro, which dictates everything else. So now they're day trading, which worked for the past two months or two weeks, and now it completely stopped working because the whole market changed. Yeah. You know? and it's not about the market changing from bullish to bearish. It's about what's working. You know, and and on top of that, most people that day trade, they focus on say they say, okay, I'm going to day trade oil. I'm going to day trade yeah. Apple. Well, yeah. if Apple stops moving or starts having erratic moves because of this and that or earnings, you, you're done. You, you, your strategy won't work anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's a time and a place for day trading, yeah. I think. Yeah. Last question, because I know you have to go. Talk about time. Do you place much importance on seasonality, even though we've had our sort of seasons rather messed up by the events following on from the pandemic? Yeah. Um, seasonality, I think, is a good tool to use. And I use tool and singularity because it's you have to use other factors as well. Standalone, it's always it's always. Actually, today I made a video on YouTube, and it said, "Does it make to use moving averages? Does it make sense to use moving averages?" And and just like seasonality, the question is yes, but as a single factor model, no. Right? If all you say is, "Okay, today's October first, and today the market historically this month goes down," let's say, uh, great. That's good to know, yes, but let's start there and start adding other layer of analysis. Most people won't do it because, again, they're lazy. And again, not blaming, it's just a fact. Um, so, but, but, you know, honestly, it's really interesting, Nick. Seasonality has actually worked very well. Even though we've had inflation and crazy supply issues and, yeah? Yeah, okay. yeah so supply disruptions, which is part of the reason for, for inflation, it has worked very well, let's say, year to date. Last year was a little bit less. But year to date, it has worked beautifully. And that's, again, it's a very short term forecast, but it has really worked very well. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, Serge, thanks very much for talking to me. I know you have to head off. Uh, Jamie couldn't talk longer, but uh, thanks for being here. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate it. Serge Berger, just before you go, I thought I'd update you on our recent development with yield nodes. For the quiet month of August, rates of return for that month were over 10%. So if you like the look of the proposition and think to invest, please help support this podcast by signing up through the link in the show notes. Bye for now.